Welcome to Biology for Bastards, teaching biology in the most profane way you've ever seen or heard. I'm your host, John Doty. Thanks for listening. This season, we're going through a whole fucking season on evolution. We're all the way up to chapter seven. Now, usually I just dive right in and start talking, but today we're going to do something a little different. I've got a huge announcement I want to make at the very beginning. Um, we now have a Patreon page. So if you really like the show, um, I'm mixing it up for this season where we have different tiers ranging from $1 a month. That's like 25 cents, 25 cents an episode. If you like the show, throw $1, $3, $5, $10 a month. That's a lot. Um, I understand that. But, you know... For $1 a month, you get access to the PowerPoints on my website, biologyforbastards.com. Now you get access to those so you can follow along and, you know, have the visual component. For $3 a month, you get that, plus you get ad-free versions of each episode on Patreon's page. For $5 a month, you get all of that, plus access to bonus episodes, one a month, at least. And then if you're a big spender and you go $10 a month, you get to pick the topics of those bonus episodes. I'll do whatever the fuck it is. You pick a topic, I will do it for the bonus episodes, only for the patrons on Patreon. So, you can head over to Patreon. It's patreon.com slash bastards because we're bio for bastards on everything. So, if you've got a little bit of extra money to spare and you want to make my dreams come true and make me love you forever, you can go over there. I'll send, you know, send you a message when you subscribe. All this stuff with my gratitude and all that shit. Um, but, yeah. Check it out. If you've never checked out uh, Patreon before, it's a really cool way where you can give to a bunch of creators directly without a middleman. Patreon's the middleman. It's a little, but it's a really tiny middleman. All right, enough of that horseshit. Uh, we're gonna get into um, chapter seven: genetic drift. So, what the fuck is genetic drift? I love starting each episode with just a "What the fuck is something?" What the fuck is genetic drift? Well, it is evolution that results from chance events of survival, reproduction, and inheritance. So the big thing that makes genetic drift different from selection is that it is chance. It is controlled by chance. So it's chance events of survival, like I said, of reproduction, of inheritance. It's just random ass shit happening. That's genetic drift. And there are five fundamental features of genetic drift. First one, it is unbiased. It's totally random. That's the whole point. Okay, number two, random fluctuations in allele frequencies are going to be larger in smaller populations. And that's because each individual in a smaller population is a larger percent of the entire population. 1 out of 10 is 10%. 1 out of 100 is 1%. That's basically all that shit. Um, number three. 
Genetic drift causes genetic variation to be lost. We'll get into why that happens later. Number four, drift causes populations that are initially identical to become different, which is kind of the opposite of number three, but it, it happens. Genetic variation was lost, but it also causes populations that are the same to become different because it's random ass. And then last one, um, an allele can become fixed without the benefit of natural selection. I remember by fixed, we just mean like everybody has it. So um, it's also kind of important to keep in your brain that it does not cause large departures from Hardy-Weinberg equilibrium within a population. But what it does is it can cause a deficient a deficit or a deficiency of heterozygotes when a set of diverging populations is considered as an entire whole population. So it's not messing with the allele frequencies um, and all that Hardy-Weinberg shit um, within a population. But if you're looking at little populations as they diverge, um, it will cause a deficit of heterozygotes in those populations. Now, with drift, we have different strengths of it. It can be very strong. It can be very weak. I've already said something about it being stronger in smaller populations. But the strength of genetic drift in a population is going to be measured by what's known as the effective population size. Okay, so the effective population size is represented by capital N sub little e. So N sub e. If you have a small N sub e, you have a small po effective population size, and drift is going to be very strong. If you have a large N sub e, drift is going to be very weak. Um, now, what is an effective population size? Good question. Thanks for asking that. Um, what it is, it is basically the number of reproducing individuals. If most of the individuals in the population are too young or too old to reproduce, then you are going to have a smaller effective population size, and drift is going to be stronger than it would be if though all those individuals were of reproductive age. Okay. And it also has something to do with the amount of reproducing males and females. If it's super unequal, one of them is going to be limiting, especially if it's females. If the females are smaller um, in number and population size, that's going to control your effective population size. And we can do some math, and we'll bring this up a bunch as we go through shit. Um, but if we have a gene that's evolving neutrally, that means no selection, um, pressuring it in either direction, if it's evolving neutrally in a diploid organism, then we can calculate the average time back to a common ancestor as 2 in sub e. So 2 times the effective population size. Now, when we have populations we have different types of drift that can happen to those populations based on changes in size. For one, we can have what's known as a population bottleneck or genetic bottleneck. 
Uh, and what that is, that is a situation in which a population is reduced to a small size for a small number of generations. And what this does, it causes very intense drift for a very brief time. And it has to be something where the bottleneck is caused by something that selection is not really acting on. Because then it's natural selection doing shit. Although, if you do have something where natural natural selection has acted on it, you have all the other genes, and we'll get into this, that can drift throughout the population. But typically, we're talking about random-ass chance events causing this small population size. And similarly to a population bottleneck, we're going to have what's known as the founder effect. The founder effect is when a new population has begun from a small number of individuals. This, like a population bottleneck, you have a small population um, essentially reproducing and repopulating everything. So just like a population bottleneck, the founder effect is going to reduce genetic variation. And it's important to know that chance is always going to be a factor in evolution. Always going to be a factor. Just is. Because it's chance. And you can't avoid chance. It's just going to fucking happen. So you got to fucking deal with it. So, let's look at shit going on with drift and genetic variation, which we said drift reduces genetic variation, within a species. So we're going to talk about polymorphism a little bit. Just remember, polymorphism is when we have differences. That's all polymorphism is. Morphs are just variations, poly a shit ton of them, polymorphism. There you go. It is typically, it being polymorphism, is typically going to be high in regions between genes and in the introns. So basically, what the fuck that's saying is we're going to have more variation in places that are not coding. The coding regions our exons, are going to be less variable, especially when you look at the first and the second bases of each codon. They are going to be less variable because that's the shit that we need to fucking work. We don't give a fuck if, you know, a non-coding region gets all fucked up because it's not doing shit. But if our exons, the things that are making our proteins and getting shit done, if that shit gets fucked up, we're fucked. We're fucked. It just fucked. Okay. Now, looking at this from a sense of drift, a lot of the polymorphism in DNA within a species is actually going to be caused by drift acting on selectively neutral mutations, which means mutations that do jack shit. They do absolutely nothing. So, but that's going to account for the vast majority of the polymorphism in DNA within a species. So, we can look at stuff, and we can look at heterozygosity resulting from these neutral mutations evolving by drift. And if we look at this um, in mathematical form, we abbreviate that heterozygosity with the symbol pi. And pi is going to be roughly equal to four times the effective population size 
times the neutral mutation rate. So if you're following along, if you decided you're going to be a patron and spend a shit ton of money at $1 a month to have access to the slides, we're on slide 7. It, the equation is pi is approximately equal to 4 n sub e mu sub n. That's the equation. It's a lot easier to look at than to hear. Um, but it's four times the effective population size times the neutral mutation rate. And what the neutral mutation rate is, it's the change per generation that the locus mutates to another allele that does not change fitness. That's the whole neutral part of that shit. So when you break this down, what the fuck does this equation actually mean? It means that heterozygosity is the product of three different quantities. The first one being the expected number of generations back to the coalescence of two copies of a gene. That is two times the effective population size. If you remember, that's how long it was since the two species split. I mentioned that a couple, couple minutes ago. Um, we said it was the average time back to a common ancestor. So we have that. That's quantity number one. Quantity number two is that neutral mutation rate. And um, quantity number three is the number two. And that just accounts for the fact that the mutation could occur in either lineage um, that came from that most recent common ancestor. Breaking this down a little bit more, what this tells us is that polymorphism will increase with the effective population size and with the neutral mutation rate. Both of those are going to affect um, polymorphism. Now, we said this happens most of the time in non-coding regions. Most of the mutations that happen in coding regions are going to be non-synonymous meaning they change the amino acid, and most of those changes are going to be deleterious. They are going to decrease survival or decrease reproduction. Now, this sucks. This is fucking garbage. Okay, Most mutations in a coding region change amino acids, and most of those changes are going to fuck you over, fortunately these mutations are going to be weeded out of the population by this process known as purifying selection. And purifying selection does not contribute to heterozygosity. And the loci experiencing purifying selection are going to be under selective constraint. So what the fuck does this tell us? coding regions are going to have lower heterozygosity than the non-coding regions. The non-coding regions are going to have a higher heterozygosity. Now, if we have um, sites of the genome that are free from selection, all the mutations are going to be selectively neutral. That's just how they're going to be. So those mutations are going to be free to drift through the population and will contribute to heterozygosity will contribute to having differences. Um, now, at sites that experience selection, 
as I just said, many or most of the mutations are going to be deleterious. They're going to be selected out of the population and contribute at best very little to heterozygosity. Um, and this is kind of what background selection is. Background selection is defined as selection that eliminates a deleterious mutation polymorphism. Um, fuck, I just fucked that definition up. Starting over with that definition. Um, when selection eliminates a deleterious mutation, our polymorphism is going to be reduced. Okay? And it's not just going to be reduced in that one spot. It's going to be reduced nearby on the chromosome because of how linked fucking genes work. Got ahead of myself in my notes and fucked up there. Um, so, not only does selection, getting rid of deleterious mutation, reduce polymorphism at that, lo that locus, it is also going to reduce polymorphism at the loci surrounding that locus because of gene linkage and all that shit. So, we are talking a little bit about selection there, a little bit about drift. Let's compare the shit. Okay, so in some cases, selection is going to be so much fucking stronger than drift, we can ignore drift. And there's going to be other times where it's the opposite, where drift is going to overwhelm selection. So, comparing these. A natural measure of the strength of selection is the selection coefficient. I don't know when I first brought that up. That was a couple chapters ago. But that's, you know, lowercase s, the selection coefficient. A natural measure of the strength of genetic drift is going to be 1 divided by the effective population size. 1 divided by n sub e. So if we compare these numbers, if the selection coefficient is much, much larger than that one over effective population size, then drift will have very little effect. If the opposite is true, where S is much, much smaller than one divided by the effective population size, then drift will dominate selection. Okay, so it's the relative strengths of drift in selection that matter not the absolute strength. Because you could have really, really, really strong drift and really, 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 really strong selection, and if those two fuckers like fight it out and they're almost exactly the same, then that's what matters as opposed to having one absolutely big, one absolutely small. We're comparing. Because selection has a purpose, drift does not. So it does a purpose, or no purpose, which one has a relatively bigger effect. That's what we fucking care about. Now, um, within this idea, we have this codon bias that happens, where different codons that code for the same amino acid, and we know there's some codons, or sorry, some amino acids that have six fucking codons coding for them. But those different codons can have minute differences in fitness because they affect how accurately and how efficiently the gene is transcribed and translated. In species with a very large effective population size, 
they tend to be biased, their genomes tend to be biased towards codons that are the most efficient. And then, then kind of, you know, flipping that around, adaptation is going to be less precise in species with smaller population sizes. Right. So, looking back at drift and these deleterious mutations that fuck shit up, um, drift can make deleterious mutations spread to fixation. That's going to be a very big problem in small populations. They're going to be fucked. Okay. Small, small populations in the wild, but also in zoos. Those are small populations where things are fucking and getting it on and making babies and everything. So what happens in these small populations, in these zoos, and all of these whatever fuck you want to deal with, we have inbreeding load, which is the decline of fitness by the fixation of deleterious mutations in small populations. It is no fucking good. This is when you hear about like inbreeding's bad. It's because of the inbreeding load. It is because of this decline in fitness by the by the deleterious mutations within the small populations. So that's what happens when bad shit happens. Drift causes bad mutations to possibly spread to selection. But what the fuck does drift do with beneficial beneficial mutations? Another good question. Okay, we have positive selection. That is the fixation of beneficial mutations. But here's the thing. A single copy of a beneficial... Why can't I fucking say that word today? Beneficial. There we go. Single copy of a new beneficial mutation is pretty much certainly going to be lost by drift, even if it has a large positive effect on fitness. Just by pure dumb luck. It might be the best fucking mutation ever. Drift might say, nope, fuck you, deuces, gooses, out of here, see you later. Which would fucking suck. But it happens all the time. So, all these mutations piling up and doing all this shit, here's the nifty thing. Genes, proteins, those two things within each gene or within each protein, they're going to evolve at roughly a constant rate. And by using that constant rate that they evolve, we can develop what's known as a molecular clock. So we can use how many mutations have popped up to measure how much time has passed between different species. And very simply put, the more mutations, the more time that's passed. That's pretty much it. And the reason this happens, the reason they mutate at a um, at roughly the constant rate is because of drift. Drift is just going to do its thing randomly drift this way, randomly drift that way, and just do its own fucking thing. But, like, the law of large numbers, if you're familiar with, like, half-life of isotopes and all that shit, same idea. It's just going to randomly happen at a relatively constant rate 
And like I said, when we are getting differences by drift, we can use the number of differences between two species to measure the time since their most recent common ancestor. Now, for um, genes inside coding regions, synonymous differences should accumulate faster than non-synonymous differences among the species. Because within a coding region, we need that shit to do its fucking job. So as long as it's a synonymous difference, it can stick around. Non-synonymous differences within coding regions might fuck shit up. Um, so that is kind of summarized by the neutral theory of molecular evolution. These neutral mutations should accumulate faster than non-synonymous mutations and they can be used to time or calculate the time since two species had a common ancestor. So let's compare synonymous and non-synonymous differences just for fucks. Okay? Shits and giggles. Let's compare them. So if we are trying to determine signs of positive selection, in case you forgot what positive selection was, that is the fixation of beneficial mutations. So we look at the number of synonymous differences per non-synonymous site to the number of synonymous differences per synonymous site ratio. To put that a little simpler, it's the D sub N to the D sub S ratio. The ratio of non-synonymous differences per non-synonymous site to the number of synonymous differences per synonymous site. Now, if we have more synonymous mutations than non-synonymous differences, that's saying most synonymous mutations are going to be deleterious and will be removed by purifying selection. If the two numbers are roughly equal, the two types of mutations are evolving largely neutrally, not doing shit. If we have more non-synonymous differences per non-synonymous site than we do synonymous differences per synonymous site, then a lot of the non-synonymous differences between the species were fixed by positive selection. So like I said, shits and giggles right there. Um, and this brings us to what's known as the MK test. And in order to understand what the MK test does, we need to know two variables, D and pi. D is just the ratio of the number of differences between the two species. That's what we just fucking figured out. Pi, if you forgot, is heterozygosity within one of the species. So what the MK test does is it assumes that synonymous changes will evolve neutrally. Comparing the D to pi ratio at synonymous sites, um, you compare that with the D to pi ratio at non-synonymous sites, and if the ratio for the non-synonymous sites is higher, 
you've got positive selection. If it is lower, you have purifying selection. That's the MK test. Comparing the D to pi ratio at synonymous sites to, to the D to pi ratio at non-synonymous sites. Fucking these words up. I'm saying them way too much. But if the non-synonymous site is higher, you have positive selection. If it's lower, you have purifying selection. And that brings us to the end of chapter fucking seven. So, chapter eight, which we'll do next week, is evolution in space. It's not actually space, like outer space. It's like in geographic space and shit. Um, but that's what we're what we will do next week. Um, I'm going to wrap this up before the 30-minute mark. Here we go. Um, don't forget, we're now on Patreon. Join, throw a dollar, $3, $5, $10. If you're super rich and you really love the show, you can add more than $10 a month. You just don't get any special perks for more than 10 But if you donate something above 10 and you have a special request, fuck it, I'll do it. Within reason. Got to put that within reason in there. Otherwise, people are going to take advantage of me. Um, so that's patreon.com slash bio for bastards. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that shit at bio for bastards. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, all that shit. Tell a friend about it. Um, our intro and outro music is a song Feeling Good by Purple Planet Music. I've been your host, John Doty. And until next time. Thanks for listening. Fuck it. A little over 30 minutes. So you may have just heard an ad, but I can't end with an ad. So just wanted to say, follow us on Twitter at bio for bastards. Um, our intro and outro music is feeling good by purple planet music. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, tell everybody you know about it. And again, thanks for listening.